come on. We couldn't cut Jimmy Buffett off. It's just too good. Too good. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, welcome. Grab a seat, grab some pizza, uh, and grab a drink if you can. But we're going to get started. Thank you all so much for coming tonight. My name is Justin Hare. I'm one of the priests at St. Philip's Church. This is my good friend Brian McGreevy. Welcome to Theology on Tap, everyone. If this is your first time, we're super glad that you're here. The way this works is um, normally we get started about 15 minutes ago, but um, we start up at 7. If y'all want to come, and if you don't want to socialize, that's fine, but Brian and I are here like at, before that. That's but right. we normally try to start at 7.30, and um, if this is your first time, the way that you'll see these kind of around the room, and you'll scan the top QR code, and you can submit a question at any point this evening. It doesn't have to be related to anything that we're talking about tonight. And we will do our best to answer it afterwards. And what you'll see is people will submit questions. If you're like, ooh, that's a great question, you can like that, and it'll go up to the top. We've got Savannah and Mary Hollis who are going to moderate that this evening and pose the questions. Uh, but normally we go for about 20 minutes or so in our conversation for this evening. Um, before we jump in, Brian, I was going to have you talk about Tea Room, because I don't know what that really is. Yes, yeah, so you may never have heard of a Tea Room before, uh, but the St. Philip's Tea Room is a Charleston tradition um, that goes back uh, about 60 years. It is a full-service restaurant for lunch at the church that we do one week out of the year. Um, crazy good food, and all of the money that's raised goes to mission and various other things. Um, that are worthy causes, and uh, it takes an army of people to make this happen. And so uh, we have servers, we have busboys, we have hostesses, we have all of these different people. We have the dessert queen people, and um, it is just totally a blast to come work in this thing. And uh, Mary Collins and Savannah back here are tea room veterans who have... Uh, worked probably for 10 years at least in the tea room and are signed up to work at it again this year. If you think, why would I want to do that? Talk to them. I promise you, if you do it, it is going to be one of the most fun things you ever do. You'll meet a bunch of cool people and you'll be helping a good cause. So the dates, I think, are on there on the little sheet. Yeah, I think it's May 2nd through the 6th. Even if you don't go to St. Philip's, that's great. You're going to get some good food. I can promise you that. If you don't want to work, just come eat. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Great atmosphere. There's a certain Kate Panessa in here who is going to be the musician playing the piano Woo! on Tuesday. Uh, so uh, come listen to her, and uh, it'll be a great time. Fantastic. Well, let's dive right in. We have been going through a little uh, four-part series on finding purpose in our lives, how we can actually live lives of flourishing and meaning and we've uh, kind of used this strange place of the Ten Commandments as kind of a guide to help us find purpose and meaning in life. And today we're closing it out. We're going to look at uh, briefly the, the Eighth Commandment, don't steal, and the last one, don't covet. Why might we look at these? What do these commandments uh, have to say regarding finding purpose in our lives? Well, I think they have a lot to say about it because when you look at one of the things we've used this big fancy word a few times, contrapositive, um, which basically means if it says don't steal, what, what is the opposite of that? Or don't covet, what's the opposite of that? And if you think about those commandments, those are things where um, you are focused on other, uh, other people's stuff, other people's lives, and you are not focused on what God's purpose for your life is at all because you've gotten 
sidetracked by these things that are distracting you. And the covetousness one um, is directly related to the problem that we have in our culture of major league discontent. So many people who are unhappy. There's a survey that just came out two weeks ago, the massive survey of high schoolers that um, almost 50% of high schoolers in America are experiencing major depression and anxiety. And this is supposed to be your carefree high school years. And our culture has gotten it so wrong on so many of these things that are connected to covetousness um, that we have uh, forgotten the art of being content. How would you define, I mean, we don't use that word very often to covet. I don't know if that came up, that'd be strange. How, what, what is coveting, actually? And what isn't it? I yeah, guess. so what does it say, covet what? Uh, well, actually, I don't even have, I'd have to look up the entire commandment. Um, but there's a lot of things. It says don't cover, covet your neighbor's uh, house, possessions, uh, that included like the servants and animals, which were like the... Uh, the tools essentially yep. that he had in his Maid house. servant, man Don't, servant, wife. His wife, yep. his wife, yes. All those things. Possessions. But um, yeah, so that's the command. And I think what's interesting about these two commands is like coveting especially, is, I mean, it relates to all the other commandments that have gone before. In fact, it's the one, we've looked at like behaviors, the commands talking about behaviors. We've talked about commands that are about attitudes, but this is a, about a, an affection, heart, the yeah, heart, heart condition. Yeah. And then really, it's kind of a perfect fitting because it's at the uh, root, in many ways, of all the others that preceded it. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about stealing, you know, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I, I don't really like, take other people's stuff. But what's one of the things we've discovered as we've gone through this is, like, there's so much more in these commandments than people tend to think. And so uh, stealing can be actually, uh, you know, wasting your gifts in some ways. Like, uh, if you're at work and you're on social media, I've never done that before. So um, (laughs) I'm sure nobody else can can relate to that. Right? But, like, uh, stealing the time of, like, your employer. Or even, like, um, if you're somebody who is the employer, to extract unjust measures from your employees. That is something that would be stealing in some sense. So it's robbing... Uh, what is actually owed people in right. some sense. Yeah, and I still remember when I was in law school hearing a sermon that changed my life, literally. And the reason it changed my life is I was someone uh, up through law school, for the most part, who was kind of habitually late. I wasn't terribly late, but I was always five to ten minutes late. And I was in Atlanta where there's terrible traffic, so I just sort of blamed it on that. And I heard this sermon where the minister was talking about the precious gift of time and that every moment that we have is a moment that once we have it, it's gone. And then he talked about how many of us are habitually running without any margin so that we're late. And so we leave other people waiting for us to get there and that we are stealing time out of their life that they will never get back. And I was like, ooh! That's pretty funny. Um, Yeah, it was was really convicting to me. And I've worked really hard since then to try to be on time. And that's another application of this commandment that's not particularly obvious, but I think it's one 
that fits right in with Jesus' emphasis on loving others. Yeah. So, uh, again, the, the heart of stealing is, is, is greed, basically, right? It's wanting more and more. And coveting is similar to that, in a sense. And if I were to define what coveting is, um, I would say, what, first of all, what it's not, right? Like, it's not the absence of all desire whatsoever. I think there's, on the one hand, you've got, like, Buddhism that would say all desire of any kind is bad. And so to reach nirvana, to reach your intended goal, is to just rid yourself of any desire, uh, which I think is kind of impossible, but also it lacks the ultimate good that we were created for. What else would you say coveting uh, is or isn't? I would say coveting has to do with comparison and jealousy, um, of not being glad that other people have something wonderful, but instead saying, they've got that, why don't I have that? I deserve that, I want that, I'm not going to be happy until I get that. And God, why don't you give me that? Why are you like holding out on me? You know, it goes into all sorts of really um, unhealthy directions. And one of the things that probably most of us don't realize is that you are being bombarded day in and day out with messages saying you should be dissatisfied and essentially that you should covet things. Because that is entirely, I'm sorry if anyone works in advertising, uh, but that is, that is what the advertising agency is all about. And some of you might have studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs back when you were in college. And um, most of the stuff that we get advertisements pushing at us all the time, even when you're trying to watch a beautiful video of King's College Cambridge singers singing this beautiful hymn, all of a sudden in the middle of it, it'll come on for some like ridiculous, you need a new kitchen sink kind of thing. And um, the problem is that consumerism is based on covetousness, mm-hmm. on feeling like you are not enough, that what you have is not enough. It's not good enough. You need this thing or that thing, and you have to define yourself in terms of the things that surround you. And if those things are not good enough, then somehow you are less than. So I would venture to say we live in the most covetous age that there has ever been. And covetousness makes it absolutely impossible to be content. Yeah, and so we'll talk... Sorry, that was a rant. No, that was a <laughs> We'll talk about contentment and how, how to get it, how to have it, how to grow in it, and the importance of it. Um, but I think I, I want to say just briefly on contentment. There's really two dimensions that... Um, that I've noticed in this is there's the dimension that it wants what others have. And so you can't actually love others well when you are coveting. Uh, you're, you, it's not that you just, and noticing what others have is fine. Uh, but we don't stop usually with noticing it. We right. then usually go it. that next step. Like, where's mine? That's right. Yeah. And so it has that kind of horizontal dimension with other people. But it also has this other dimension that we talked about of like, it distrusts in God. And I think that's one of the things, it, it's discontent with my current lot in life. And I think that is s- such an epidemic in the world today. And boy, just in studying this, it like cut me to the heart the whole time. But um, it's fitting that as we started the Ten Commandments lo- with looking at the God as the creator and almighty God, that it, it now goes back to him. And it's ultimately all about, do we trust not just in his uh, power, 
but in his loving care for us mm-hmm. and covetousness. Yeah, and I think trusting in God's provision and trusting that God will give us what we need is at the heart of all of this because essentially when you're coveting, you are saying that you cannot be content until you get this thing or that thing or this relationship or that job or whatever it might be. And it takes your eyes off of, if you're a Christian, it takes your eyes off of following Christ um, and puts it onto these things that can never satisfy. And there's a great uh, Lewis quotation. Of course, there's always a great C.S. Lewis quotation. But um, he says in one of his works that God cannot give us happiness and contentment apart from himself because there is no such thing. And our culture is always telling us, if you just get a little more, a little more in whatever area it is, you're going to be fine. And we live in such a sexualized culture that we think we've got to be having this uh, fulfilling sexual life or else somehow we're not being fully human. And we miss out on the fact that for most of human history and certainly in the church, um, contentment really had nothing to do with that. Sex is a gift from God, but it's not necessary for living a fully complete and beautiful human life. Jesus, of course, being the great example of that. Yeah. Yeah. um, We were talking earlier this week about, I've been reading through Pilgrim's Progress with my kids at night. Have you ever heard of that book before? Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah. They've got a little animated one that's really amazing. And so I'm reading it to my little kids and uh, the whole story is about, uh, it's an allegory, I guess mm-hmm. is what that is. But mm-hmm. they're, oh, this, That's very good, Justin. Thank you. I passed <laughs> ninth grade English just then. Um, going to the celestial city, it's about a pilgrim named Christian, right? And he's on the way. And all along the way, the wicked prince hates the king of the celestial city. And what he tries to do is he sets up this alternative city right on the road called Vanity Fair. And it was amazing reading this to my kids because they can, I mean, so we talked about beauty before and we've talked about ambition and probably good to, to go back and relate this to that. But um, it's amazing because the whole point of it is they get into this beautiful city where there's all these possessions, all these great things, and those on the journey forget where they were supposed to be going. They, and the Wicked Prince knows that they'll just stay in Vanity Fair. Um, and it was a powerful reminder that the best thing uh, for us is to, when we, the thing that we need to avoid, I guess, is getting so attached to the things that, of this world that are going to distract us from going. And that's not to say beautiful things, I and mean, we've talked about the role of beauty in this world, but when our hearts latch onto those things and it's as such that they distract us from our ultimate goal mm-hmm. and destination, uh, they can rob us of joy. Yeah. So how, how does ambition, how does like desire and, uh, and beauty then relate to contentment? Well, I think it has to be desire for the right things, and it has to be the right sense of beauty. Uh, because, again, another great Lewis quotation from a little book, little essay called Meditation in a Tool Shed. He talks about this beam of light and the way that that illumines something, on, like this beam of light is illuminating the floor down here. But you can also look at light and see the light itself, um, but you can look back along the light up to where the light comes from. And he says, as Christians, one of the things we need to learn to do that as we experience beauty, that we need to begin to think about what must God be like who could create this much beauty. And we move from just 
looking at the beauty to adoration of who God is for that beauty, rather than wanting to just possess it for ourselves or think if we, if we can get that, then we will be happy. And one of the things that we miss is that contentment is something that we learn. And there's that great verse from Philippians about that. Oh, yeah. That's in Philippians 4. That, I'm going to let you look that up because well, I've got... I actually, oh, you've got it. I Man. actually, if I brought the right sheet, uh, have it. So this is Paul speaking. Yeah. Remember Paul? Paul was rich. He was from a great family, went to a great school at the top of the line in terms of everything in Judaism. And then he had this encounter on the Damascus Road with Jesus, gave up all of that. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was put in prison. Um, And if anybody had grounds to complain about what had happened, it would have been Paul. But listen to what he says. I have learned to be content, learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I think the point of that is that contentment is a mental attitude. It is an attitude of the mind and the heart where we look to approach life with gratitude instead of approaching it as being hungry for more and more, thinking that somehow we're going to be satisfied if we can just get one more thing. Yeah. I love that. That, that is like the coffee mug verse, right? That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it, if you looked at the context of it, what it's talking about is contentment. It's mm-hmm. not talking about, you know, I can now, you know, make a million dollars or run a four-minute mile, like, which is often how it can be used. But it's, it's about I can endure any type of suffering. I can d- endure anything and be content in life. That's the power that God is saying can be at work uh, in you. Yeah, and it goes right along with that idea of I can be content in whatever state God has called me to in this moment, not state like South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, but if you are unmarried, you can be content and unmarried. There are so many voices in our culture that say you're not enough or you're less than if you're single. And that's just not true biblically. Biblically, being single is a gift, and that you can be content in that state. You can be content being married. You can be content in whatever job you have. It is just a choice that you make about what your attitude is in approaching it. And it all goes back, we talked a little bit from time to time about St. Augustine of Hippo, which is, I wish that were my name, Augustine of Hippo. So cool. Brian of Hippo. Uh, yeah, Brian of Hippo, that would be pretty great. Uh, but he talks about rightly ordered loves, and that when we're loving the right things in the right order, that we experience joy and contentment and freedom. But as soon as we take one of the lesser loves, like love for um, a romantic love, for example, and we put that in the place of God, and we make that romantic love and seeking that romantic relationship, um, what we're after, we automatically set ourselves up to be discontent because the loves are not in the right order. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, and you'd probably agree with this, but when you were talking about being... Like, I we, usually we, agree with We you. can be content. Not always, and you definitely shouldn't always, but um, <laughs> being that we can be content. Yes, it's absolutely true, we can, but it's also a command. I think the Tenth mm-hmm. Commandment is a, like, part of that is the command to be content. 
and every season. And I think it's important to think about um, contentment is not consolation. It's not just like, oh, well, you're settling for something, which is often how I feel like the word content, you know, I'm, I'm content in this. You know, it's, it's not actually like the thriving right, it's exhileration. Sad contentment. Yeah. yeah. And, and this I think. Is totally bogus. Well, that's yeah. exactly. I'm just thinking about the times in my life where it, experiencing disappointment, yes. And I don't think content, like, I don't think covetousness is being, um, you know, being disappointed and, and sorrowful is compatible with not being covetous, I guess. Like, you can still be sorrow about what's happened to you without coveting something mm-hmm. else. Yeah, I think Jesus encourages us to actually be sorry and to go to him in our sorrows, right? Uh, but to test why are we sorry and what, what's going on in our hearts with that. Um, but the idea of contentment being an exhilarating part of life, and I think especially in those disappointments and sorrows, whether it's a relationship, a job, when, when you experience true contentment, there is a freedom that opens yes. up in your heart that sets you that sets you free to flourish. Yeah, your horizons yeah. are expanded and all that. And um, a while ago, I was going back to the C.S. Lewis quote that we have mentioned before. But the idea of it's not that things of this world are bad, and like Jesus, uh, God created all things in the beginning, and and it's not that we love those things too much. It's that we love God too little mm-hmm. as the giver of those things. And he says, um, C.S. Lewis famously put it. That it's not that we desire too much, but that we desire too little, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. And I think that's really important when we think about coveting. It's We're actually just desiring the things uh, in disproportionately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think some practical things to think about um, I would encourage all of you to do a contentment audit uh, in your life, uh, just to think about this concept and where you are with it. But one of the things I would also encourage you to think about is where you are with your phone and social media. Because social media is also, like the advertising industry, of driving you to covet. Covet people's friends, covet that influencer that just has this beautiful, amazing life where everything is always perfect, or at least it looks that way on Instagram. Um, you know, when you spend a lot of time in social media, you are invariably, even if you're trying not to, comparing yourself to what you're seeing. And your phone also, if you've got a lot of push notifications, you also are hearing about all of the things that are going wrong in the world all the time. And they grab for your attention and your focus. They take your focus off of God and off of thankfulness and gratitude, and it drags you into a place where it's hard to practice contentment. Yeah, yeah. doing an audit of your life is certainly a, a really helpful way. I think all of us know we should be less covetous and more uh, content in our lives. So it's, I think as we close, it's important thinking about ways that we can grow in contentment, uh, taking an audit of our lives. I think there's recognizing that it's actually a spiritual problem. It's mm-hmm. not just like a uh, another kind of problem, but it's fundamentally a spiritual problem that has to do with God. And so uh, at the end of the day, we believe that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. And so whatever your lot in life, if you're able to think that God has me here for a specific purpose, and it's not because he doesn't love me. And there are a few places in scripture that I've found helpful. Um, 
thinking about the manna in the wilderness, right? When the Israelites have left Egypt and they're going to the promised land. God didn't give them all the stuff at once, but it was a day-by-day giving of what they needed. And he said to trust in me uh, for what you have. And sometimes he doesn't give us what we want, but he does give us what we need. Where else would you point maybe for growing in contentment? Uh, I think that scripture is a great place to be. I also think that being outdoors and focusing on the beauty of creation is a great way to kind of uh, detox a little bit from all of the things that are pushing at you all the time um, and just observing that beauty and taking the time to stop and do something like look at a tree for five minutes and think about the life that's pulsing in it the way that, particularly now in Charleston in spring, everything is just coming to life all around us. And there's this beautiful flowering vine everywhere and fragrance and all of that. Uh, I think that can be hugely helpful to not just be in front of a screen all the time and to get outside. Another thing, this is um, maybe like an extra credit homework assignment, uh, but I would really encourage you to go onto YouTube and look up Emily's soliloquy from Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town. Um, Everybody used to read Our Town in school. Most people don't anymore. How many of y'all have seen or read the play, Our Town? Okay, good, at least a few of you. Well, this play, um, I'm not gonna go on about all of it, but what happens is the protagonist, who's a beautiful young woman, dies, and she gets the opportunity to come back to think of her favorite day out of her life and to come back and relive it, although no one can see her and she can't speak to the people. And she comes back and she is overwhelmed by all of the beauty and blessing that she just took for granted. Things like the smell of clean laundry and the look in her mother's eye in the morning and all these things that she's lost now and when you read or listen to that soliloquy on YouTube or wherever you can find it, it makes you realize how we rush through life. Um, probably a, a more recent adaptation of the same theme is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, where he says, you know, every now and then you have to stop and take a look around. And uh, I think there's great wisdom in that that goes right along with what Jesus says about consider the lilies. Yeah, amen. That was... That was my other scripture that I was thinking about, but yeah, no. The, I told you we agreed. We we do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the the uh, we all when we look at the Ten Commandments, we realize that we break far break it far more often than we realize. Um, and stealing the antidote is not just doubling down, but actually being generous with what we do have. And in the same way, the antidote to um, covetousness is gratitude mm-hmm. and and contentment. And so. That's, it's so often that we can get tunnel vision for the things that we don't have. And I love that image of being truly, like enjoying actually the things that you do have would be a, a really powerful antidote. If you're feeling loss and a temptation to covet what others have, go enjoy and thank the Lord for the things that you do have in, in a really tangible way. Um, and we've talked about that before but yeah and i would say another thing that can help with contentment is that uh, one of the downsides of cell phones there's so many great things about cell phones but one of the downsides is that many of us have moved to what i would call a just-in-time mentality about getting together with people 
And so what happens is we get to the end of the day and we're like, oh, I don't have anything to do. Let me text and see what people are doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But contrast that to thinking about, like, say, on Sunday afternoon, looking at the week that's ahead of you, thinking of who do I intentionally want to spend time with and what kinds of things do I want to invest my life in and then planning out things to happen during that week. And then you have those things to look forward to. And if you do that, it it would shock you if you've never done that, how that having that to look forward to will change your attitude towards your week. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How are we doing on questions? Yeah, we, this, all right. Yeah, that's good. All right. Let's dive in. Okay. First question is, how do you balance challenging oneself while also being content? Yeah, it's like the ambition. That is a very good question. Uh, and if we knew the exact answer to that, we could write a best-selling book and uh, become very wealthy. Uh, But I would say one of the things about that is to understand that there's a difference between stagnation and contentment. And part of the idea of challenging yourself is to keep alive your sense of wonder. And if you keep alive your sense of wonder when you see new things and you're living prayerfully, you will find things that you want to lean into. And if you feel that you're getting stagnant in your life, um, that probably means you're not content, but that you need to be living more intentionally. So what would you yeah, say? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's such a hard question because it get, covetousness is a matter of the heart. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's what is your heart wanting in these things? What is the goal that you're trying to better yourself for? What is the end of that, right? And if that's to be seen as great or to have other people like you or uh, to just accumulate some things that hopefully it'll make you feel better. All of those things would fall into the covetousness category, right? But if you're challenging yourself in, in the kind of dip, like arena of stewarding the gifts right, that God's giving you, yeah. that is the kind of challenging that's really a, a vocation, a calling that God has given you these things. And it's actually... Uh, laziness to not go out there and try to use them to the best of your ability. Right, but not so they to, could be an avenue of blessing for other people in addition right. to yourself. Yeah, not trying to ultimately make yourself better, but for the glory of God and for the betterment of other people mm-hmm. around you. Okay, so next question. I think we should talk a little more about singleness. In that season, what should be our goal? If permanent... How do we know that's what God has planned for us? Oh, that's great. That is a really great question. I think one of the things that is important is to understand that particularly in our culture, um, we have have glorified, probably in an unhealthy way, marriage. And we put a lot of um, unrealistic expectations on marriage. Now, marriage is a glorious thing, but singleness also can be a glorious thing. A lot of the people who you see in scripture that God has used most profoundly are people who were single. And I think that um, one of the most important things of embracing singleness, whether it's just for a season or for a life, is to believe that God has called you to that state at least for now. And to be looking at what are things that singleness gives you the opportunity to do that would not be possible for a buried person or somebody with children um, to look for the blessings that are in that. 
And there are a lot of things um, about intentionality and relationships, service, all of that, um, that can make a huge difference in that. And I agree, it's something that there needs to be more teaching about, and there needs to be more lifting up of that state as being one that is um, something where there are unique blessings from God that are in that. Um, I would add to that, I think that in our day in particular, the idea of our sexuality has become so important in our identity. And so to deny ourselves of our sexual desires is an affront against our very selves. And what's really important... In the culture's view. Right, not our... Yeah, yeah, uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible would say is that we are... um, That Jesus, as you said, was a, a perfect human being who was celibate his whole life. And that's just so implausible for many people today. Um, but he was a flir- fully foolish, flourishing person. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because I think for singleness, uh, it's a good thing to long for marriage. It's a good thing. And Paul says if you burn with passion that, like, that marriage is one of the reasons that that's there. Um, but at the end of the day, this whole covetousness thing is recognizing that God is the one in control, and the reason you're in where you are has not because it's an ac- it's not because it's an accident. It's not slipped his mind. Or he that there's something wrong with you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's that God has actually designed this, and you won't know um, at the end of the day if you're meant to be single and if you feel those desires to be married um, until the end of your life. But I think it's a good thing to pray for. But as you said, to recognize the role that you have then and there to live into friendships and to pour yourself out and to be filled by other people that you wouldn't um, be in a like dating relationship or a marriage at that time. Yeah, and I think part of what also um, the church needs to do some work on is that uh, being single should not equal being isolated. You should be very much part of the body of Christ and surrounded with people who love you, people who are single, people who are married, people who are older, people who are younger. That's what the body of Christ is all about. And when you're in that kind of situation, as someone who is single, you can flourish in a way where if you're just isolated, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and yeah, the last thing I would say is just that God is going to give you the strength that you need to endure any season that you're going to go into. Uh, to rely on him, you're not going to be missing out. And at the end of the day, marriage is just a picture of this relationship with God that we will enjoy for mm-hmm. all eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we should talk more about that. Good question. Yes. How do we balance not being envious and living a life of covetness, covetousness with developing an uber-inflated sense of self-pride or independence on what you do have? That's a long question. That is... Uh, That's kind of where the rubber hits the road. And I would say a great scripture passage to look at that relates exactly to that is in Romans 12, which is one of the great chapters out of the New Testament. But about halfway through that, Paul is talking to people about their gifts, and he's talking about, I encourage each one of you to think of yourself with sober judgment not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but thinking with sober judgment, and then using the gifts that you have in accordance with the grace given to you. And then it has this whole part that I used to think was so weird. If your gift is teaching, then in teaching. 
If your gift is an encouragement, then an encouragement. But what I finally realized is that many of us, we are not content with the gifting that God has given us. And we want to be something else. So, you know, and you see this a lot of times with children in sports. If you have a child who at age 16 is five foot one inches tall, and they are really gifted at gymnastics, but they want to be a point guard in basketball, um, that is probably not going to work out so well for them because their, their gifting and the way that they're made points them in a particular direction. So I think that when you are leaning into your gifts, trying to think of yourself with sober judgment and not more highly than you ought to think, that that helps prayerfully save you from the direction of pride and send you into the direction of, as we were talking earlier, developing your gifts for the blessing of the body. And I think also to add to that, they, at the end of the day, everything we have is a gift from God. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So everything that we have is a gift. And therefore, all boasting is eliminated at that point. And I think that's important to realize is everything, every single thing, the gifts, the time, uh, treasures that we do have, resources are all a gift from God that are meant to be used just as his stewards, basically. Mm -hmm. These are great questions, by the way. Okay, next one. How do I deal with others, like family, telling me that I shouldn't be content, that I should be trying to make and be more in life? Yeah. That is another great question. And one of the things that we see in our culture right now is um, a lot of bad parenting models. I'm a parent. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a great parent. Um, I, I try, but and I think all parents try. But one of the things that I do think I have succeeded in avoiding this particular trap is wanting to live vicariously through my children. And I think that a lot of people in our culture get stuck with that, that if something didn't go right in their own life, then they are determined that their children are going to accomplish whatever they were unable to. And so a lot of times they will put these expectations onto their children that are just um, crushing to the spirit of the children. And so I think I want to give all parents the benefit of the doubt that they love their children and want what's best for them. But as you become older, sometimes you will begin to realize that some of the pressure that you may be feeling is unhealthy. And you have to discern, particularly if you're a Christian, you have to discern what it is that God has called you to and uh, try to deflect those expectations that would um, make you feel like there's something wrong because you're not uh, pursuing your parents' dream for you. It's a tricky one because it, let's assume this is a Christian Christian set of parents, right? And as charitable as possible to this question, they, may, they probably know you very well. Um, and to encourage you to exercise your gifts is actually a good thing mm-hmm. that you should trust your parents in. If your parents aren't Christians, or even if they are, but they're just, you can, all parents are flawed, Christians and non-Christians, and it can be really easy to want things for your children 
that maybe God doesn't have for them to have, right. and that's not right. going to lead to their flourishing, that pressure you're talking about. And so it goes back, really, the fifth commandment, honoring your father and mother, it does not always mean doing what they say. You have to weigh it against what Scripture says. And so right there you have a perfect example of being content, but also realizing contentment actually is utilizing your gifts, but being grateful and thankful for what God has given you. And so it's, I think, uh, a matter of discernment and wisdom and inviting other people to help walk through that relationship. But at the end of the day, uh, family's hard. And it can, Jesus said, whoever has left father, mother, brothers, and sisters for my sake and the gospel's sake will receive them a hundredfold in the kingdom. Yeah. And there, be, there will be times when following Jesus means uh, some tricky things with your own family. But he, he knew that, and right. he made a promise. Yeah. How can you shepherd friends and family who are not naturally grateful, content, or reflective towards a more grateful practice? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I have a a great book plug um, for that. One of the ways that you can do that um, that is probably the the least uh, awkward way, rather than saying, what's wrong with you people that you complain all the time and are so ungrateful, that's probably not going to help the situation very much. Uh, But giving them a book um, to read and saying, you know, this book really meant a lot to me. I'd love for you to read it and then talk about it later. Um, There's a book that the original title, I think, was 365 Thank Yous. It's by a guy named John Kralik, um, whose life was going in every bad direction you can think of. Um, He was... uh, his wife had left him. He had lost his job as a lawyer. He had lost a judge election that he thought he was going to win. He'd gained 50 pounds. He was thinking about committing suicide. And he got this handwritten thank you note in the mail. And he was so amazed by it and how it changed his day. And he thought, there is power in that. And so he challenged himself to find someone every single day for 365 days to write a handwritten thank you note to. And it absolutely transformed his life. So a book like that to read um, can be a good way to enter into that conversation. The other thing that can be really helpful is to relentlessly model gratitude and to thank them even when you don't feel like it, to write notes, to send texts, all of those kinds of things. Because the more that you can model living a life of gratitude, it will begin to have an impact on them. Can you briefly re-say the question so I get it right? How can you shepherd friends slash family who are not naturally grateful slash content slash reflective towards a more grateful practice? Yeah. So when I hear that question, I think not naturally reflective or um, content, that sort of thing. It could be, I mean, what Brian said, it all depends on the person, I think. And so... That was a very gentle, subtle way. Here's a, here's a book. This is all very kind. If you're not naturally prone to think about many things other than just going out and having a good time and partying and that next high, it may be helpful to be very direct and just say very bluntly, like, this is not a good thing that you're doing. And I would encourage you to actually stop and think about this because the natural path um, to this, if you just stop and think. like So basically, another compliment, complimentary way of thinking about it, I think, would be just being very direct and honest succinctly about my concern is this for you and would you consider that with me um, and there was something else I was going to say but that's good enough I think, so. 
So tangibly, what does becoming more content look like? Setting aside times for reflection, prayer, or just trying to incorporate the mindset into everyday life? Uh, I would say all of those things, and I think it looks different from person to person. Uh, I think part of that, what makes for contentment is uh, making sure that you do not allow those practices into your life that cause you to be discontent. And uh, you know, we are told in the scriptures that we are to rejoice always, we are to pray without ceasing, we are to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. There are not many places where it says this is God's will, um, but giving thanks, it says this is God's will for you. And so I think the more um, that your life is characterized by thankfulness, the more that it is characterized by a focus on others and not yourself, um, the more that it's characterized by using your gifts to bless others, those are signs that you are moving in the direction of a contented life. And when you can experience, um, just like in our town, when you can experience the joy of small things, the way the light is coming through the window in the morning, the smell of the coffee, um, the, the pleasure of a good meal, um, the pleasure of a just wonderful conversation with a friend that was unexpected. Those kinds of things where you experience joy, um, those are good markers for a contented life. Really briefly answering this, the, uh, engage all five senses and um, try to enjoy those things that, that you do have, right? Just kind of what you said, I think, would be really helpful but i remembered what i was going to say at the last one and oh, i think i think it's important on. it may be helpful if there's somebody here but i um for those who really do care about friends or family that you want to see change in their lives um god is the one who changes people we're called to be faithful to speak the truth to invite to be engaging uh but it's not up to us at the end of the day and i think yeah. there's a release of pressure that that you may need to hear that is why i'm going back to that but and the corollary of that is one of the most important things you can do in that situation is to pray for those people. Yeah. That God would choose to give them thankful hearts. Because a thankful heart is a joyful heart. Yeah. I realize that I am a very vain person. I find myself really wanting to be seen and admired. How can I fight against this? So honest. Well, I would say, first, that is a really good sign that someone can realize that and um, verbalize it. And I think that, uh, again, prayer is a very important aspect of that. The other thing that I think can be very helpful with that is to find a close friend that you can share that with and pray together with that person uh, to work on the idea of humility um, a lot of the issue with vanity can come from being too narcissistic, too focused on yourself. And so choosing to do things that make you focus on other people can be a very good antidote, especially people that are people in need, whether it is um, you know, where you're going to serve the poor in some way or helping people who are elderly, something that just completely gets your eyes off of yourself can be the best antidote for that. Yeah. Um, practice taking time behind the scenes 
that you're not the center of attention, inviting friends to keep you accountable for mm-hmm. doing things without the recognition. A second thing I would say is to actually really be intentional about celebrating the gifts of other people. Because oftentimes vanity and covetousness operates on this zero-sum mentality yeah, that somebody else's right. thing is a hindrance to my own. Yeah. So practicing joy and contentment um, and really fighting against vanity is truly celebrating being happy for the gifts and, and successes of other people. Yeah, that's really good. Last thing I would say is the cross of Christ. It, all of the, we've, We're at our time here, but the... Um, the Ten Commandments, none of, like, this is a question that I love because it comes from an honest heart that knows that we fail in all of these areas. And the glorious news of the Christian faith is that God has come in our place taking what we deserve, right? And so um, thinking about he did not, he left the, the glories of heaven not for his own good but for the good of us. And when you meditate on what God has done for us, that really does is what transforms our hearts mm-hmm. to be able to do those things of, of actually taking the side because we recognize that's exactly what he's done for you and I. Yeah. So I, I think with that, we um, are out of time, but we would love to still hang out. Feel free to grab a drink. And email list. Oh, the email list. If you want to join our email list, it's on here as well. Um, huge shout out to Henry's guys. Really go out of your way. Give them a nice tip because... They have been so kind to host us, and I know that, I think there's like... Um, and Jared closed down the roof bar to come down and be here with us, and yeah. we are very thankful. They've just gone out of their way, so thank you guys. And we'll be back in two weeks with our next one. We'll probably do one where we've just compiled all the questions that we couldn't answer in the last like five mm-hmm. times, and we'll do it that. So uh, please come back in two weeks. We'll see you then. All right. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Y'all.